Non-stick coating in frying pans. Coffee cups. Popcorn bags. Plastic bottles and bags. These are the things that many of us encounter every day and we don't think twice about where they come from and what actually goes into making them or their impact. I drink way too much coffee, that's for sure. And I can't watch a film without popcorn. Sweet or salted, Sam? Mm, I kind of like a mixed bag. So I I kind of like the sweet, I like the salty um, version, but very controversial. I love the chocolate coated ones or the toffee coated ones. They're amazing. You definitely should try them. Oh my word. No, it's definitely sweet for me. I can see the attraction of gourmet popcorn, but why mess with perfection? I mean, you can get so many different flavours these days, but you can't get them in the cinema. You're a man after my own heart, Sam. But this isn't a food podcast. We're actually here to talk about chemistry, which technically is about, well, everything. So in each episode, we'll be relating the science and chemistry to everyday stuff like this. And the reason we're getting carried away talking about popcorn is because the microwave bags they come in and all the other items I mentioned before contain PFAs, which stands for poly and perfluorinated alkanes. I'm guessing our listeners know a few things about chemistry and the sciences. But if not, be prepared for a lot of acronyms and abbreviations. We just can't get enough of them. Let's simplify PFAs a bit more. They are basically what we call forever chemicals. And we're going to tell you all about them in this episode of our show, Swittering On. A zwitterion is a molecule that has both positive and negative regions of charge. So in the solid state, amino acids exist as dipolar ions called zwitterions, hence the name of our shows. So we kind of love a bit of a pun around here. So if that doesn't float your boat, I think you're listening to the wrong podcast. I mean, we could spend all day sharing chemistry puns, but we promise to talk about forever chemicals. So let me introduce myself. Hello, everyone. I'm Mariama Ifode-Bliz, and I'm the head of education at the Salters Company and Institute in London. And I'm Samuel Dada, or you can call me Sam, a BBSRC DTP PhD student at the University of Cambridge in the Department of Chemistry. Whoa. That was another intense range of abbreviations there, Sam. So let me break it down for you. The BBSRC stands for Biotechnological and Biological Sciences Research Council. And the DTP stands for Doctoral Training Partnerships. So you study at Cambridge too, right? Yes, yes, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But we're actually here to talk about chemistry. You were saying something about forever chemicals. Yes, okay. So this is the science talk coming up. And here we go. Forever chemicals, such as PFAs, which stands for poly and perfluorinated alkanes. Brilliant. So you've already got this. So, as I was saying, PFAs were first manufactured in the 20th century and have since found their way into the vast majority of consumer products. Yes, it's true that they have beneficial properties, such as heat and wear resistance, nonstick properties, and flame resistance which are derived from the strong carbon-fluorine bonds. These make PFAs extremely resistant to breaking down in the environment. But this also means that they can persist for thousands of years, which originally seemed like a good thing, but in some cases means they're pretty toxic to the environment. So, for example, they've been found in areas as remote as the Arctic, which unfortunately makes PFAs a cause for concern for all of us. So we'll be establishing PFAs and how they are made. 
We know chemists can do everything. And in this episode, we'll be joined by two guests, a scientist at the top of their game on the subject who knows a lot more about it than us, and a student also on the subject who wants to learn how to address these issues involved with Forever Chemicals. In every episode, we will do our best to introduce the main topic under discussion, then pass over to an expert and a student to have a conversation about the past, present and future of the science at the heart of it. And as tempting as it might be for the two of us to just sit and nod along, we'll be joining in with the conversation as well. Yeah, so like I said earlier, we are going to be breaking things down for you so you can understand it. So at the risk of embarrassing ourselves, at the end of each episode, we are going to be quizzed by the experts on the key takeaway from the conversations in the expert test. The expert test. Yes, we will, Sam. And even though I really hated exams at school, we will be keeping score every week and throughout the whole series to see who out of the two of us will be the winner of the expert test. It'll be fine. And please feel free to join us at home, uh, our lovely listeners, uh, so you can see how much you are learning from our podcast as well. I think it'll be fine for you, but I'm still doing my PhD and I have a reputation to kind of keep. We want this discussion and the conversation to kind of break out of the studio. So we want you to be having this conversation with your friends, with your family, wherever you are, in the gym, in the coffee shop. We just want this to just be a conversation that everyone's having. Yes, you're absolutely right, Sam, because we all know that where there's chemistry, there's hope. We are so, so thrilled to be joined today by Professor Andrew Tanenzap, who is conducting environmental research focusing on the presence of pollutants. Andrew, would that work for you to say the presence of pollutants? Yeah, so some of the research we do very much is focused on the presence of pollutants like microplastics being one of them. Fantastic. And Andrew's working um, with his research group at the University of Cambridge, and we are just so thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. So we're joined again by William Terry Wright, a PhD student at the University of Bristol studying chemical synthesis. Uh, it's fantastic to be here and uh, I'm so excited to learn a bit more about pollutants in our world. Now before we get stuck in, before each episode, we ask uh, the same two questions uh, to our guests. So Andrew, if you were an element, what would you be and why? I, I think for me, that's actually an easy one. It would have to be carbon. So all life on, uh, as a biologist, fundamentally a biologist, all life on earth is made up of carbon. We study the car carbon cycle in, in my research group, really interested in what, not just carbon as an element, but the diversity of carbon compounds that we find in the natural environment and, and their role in the natural environment. So I yeah, I think I'd go with the easy one of, of carbon, nothing too exotic, I'm, I'm afraid. Andrew, it's great to have you here because you are a living example of what we say all the time, that chemistry is interdisciplinary and there's always a conversation between chemistry uh, and other sciences. So carbon it is. Well, thank you. Carbon <laughs> is it. Yeah. <laughs> we have another question for you. Um, who is your favourite fictional scientist? I, I think that's a really difficult one, actually, to, to pinpoint. I, I think you could... I could nerd out and and pick like someone from uh, 
Star Trek or, or something like that, <laughs> Spock or Jordi LaForge or even even Beverly Crusher. She's a scientist, I think. Um, or I don't know, someone from the comic world, the Hulk. Oh, the Hulk. The Hulk. <laughs> That's a great choice. He's got seven PhDs as well, so he knows a bit about everything. So he's really interdisciplinary. You know, we were talking about before we started recording about interdisciplinarity. So maybe Bruce Banner it is. Mine, for example, is Doc Brown. <laughs> Do you mean do you mean the rapper? <laughs> Sam? I'm not talking about the rapper Doc Brown. I'm talking about, you know, Doc Brown from Back to the Future. All oh, right, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with Walter White from Breaking Bad. Um that's the first one, the first one that sprung to mind. <laughs> Will <laughs> also I'm a chemical I'm a synthesis, you know, it kind of relates. What, what can we say? <laughs> There's no response to that, is there? There's no response to that. Um so now we've got the serious questions out of the way. Um well, what would you like to speak to Andrew about? What would you like to ask him? My first kind of question would be, what does your research um, involve? I'm an ecologist, so I study how um, organisms interact uh, in the natural world and how they interact with sort of the non-living abiotic part of, of the natural world. And this is where our interest in chemistry comes in. So one of the core things we're interested in in my research group is just like I was alluding to earlier, carbon-based compounds, what we'd call organic matter, critically important to the health of our planet in terms of the carbon cycle that's regulating our, our climate. And we think of the, the carbon cycle, you know, most people might think of it as, you know, you hear carbon, you think, well, it's synonymous with this, this one element, carbon, but actually carbon exists in all different forms and with all different functions. So if you were to take, um, collect some organic matter, whether that be sort of dissolved in water or some soil from the natural environment, and you look at the type of carbon compounds that are in the environment, it actually turns out, well, what we think of as carbon is like, you know, 5,000 different molecular compounds. So at a molecular level, you know, five, thousand different ways carbon is linked together with other elements to, to create these molecules in the environment. And so it's this really remarkable diversity. You know, it's not just this one single element, carbon. And so what we're really interested in, in my research group is, well, what does this diversity actually do? What's its role in the, the environment? And um, we study that largely through the um, lens, I guess, of, of microbiology. So at, at the interface, I guess, of like organic chemistry, environmental chemistry and, and microbiology, because microbes are the main consumers, if you will, of organic matter, of, of carbon. They're the ones that are really the sort of engine of that carbon, global carbon cycle, transforming carbon, utilizing it in, in different ways. And what we're interested in is if the different types of compounds at a molecular level and, and the different types of those 5,000 different types of of 6,000, whatever it is, thousands of different types of carbon compounds, whether they, how, how do these interact differently with microorganisms and how does that influence what the microorganisms do with the carbon, which is important for more generally the carbon cycle. Fantastic. Thank you. When you talk about microorganisms, what, what are we kind of talking about? Are we talking about things in the sea or things we touch? What does the everyday person, how do they encounter microorganisms? 
well, they've probably got several thousand of them inside of them and on them actually at, at the moment. So it, just all, all of us do. So, so we're, when I'm talking about microorganisms, I'm talking about bacteria and fungi that are, um, and other viruses as well that also influence, um, not just the dynamics of bacteria and fungi that are using carbon, but also they can, um, change how bacteria they can rewire the metabolism viruses can rewire the metabolism of bacteria and fungi and change how they they use carbon so these are all um by microorganisms we mean that they're invisible to the naked eye you can't see them um but they would belong to fungi and and bacteria and and viruses and then there's this other group called called archaea which, which are bacteria but not really that would be my, my summary of them. Another group of microorganisms. You know, we, we talked to, uh, right at the start about uh, pollution and how that relates. So how can something that's so man-made, pollution, microplastics, for example, how can that relate to uh, organisms that are so small? You can think of man-made substances, microplastics uh, being a great example, as they're just another carbon source. They're just another organic compound, from, at least from the perspective of, a, let's put ourselves in the shoes of a, of a bacteria, you know, put a, think from the perspective of a microorganism, it's just another carbon source, right? At a chemical level, it's just carbon with a bunch of different sort of bound to, to different elements and, and in different ways. So uh, microorganisms become really important and. Um, helping to potentially degrade some of these pollutants in, in, in the natural environment. And so one of the things we're interested in is understanding when that happens, under what conditions, and what microorganisms might be involved, because then potentially we could try and cultivate them and use them in a more targeted process for biological remediation. Andrew, you just said biological remediation. Can you break that down for us? What are we talking about for the non-scientific listeners out there? Yeah, so, so sorry if that, that was a bit technical sounding. I'm just thinking about ways to restore nature and reverse the damage that humans have caused. One of the things we're interested in is can we use microbes as a way to um, sort of remove these pollutants from the environment and thereby restore and reverse the damage that these pollutants might might cause in the natural environment. That's fantastic. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And it's certainly something that we're, we're committed to with this podcast, looking at how chemistry and how it interacts with other sciences can bring more about more sustainability and, and make our world uh, a, a better place to, to live in. You talked about carbon um, as your favourite element. And we've been talking about PFAs and, and the fact that the strong carbon fluorine bonds make them so resistant to being broken down in nature. Can you ever see a point in future where microbes will be able to have any effect on PFAs and associated materials? Well, that, that's a really interesting question. So um, one of the actual experiments that we've been running in our research group for several years has been trying to understand how microbes evolve to use different organic compounds. So we've taken groups of microorganisms and tried to raise them on, on grow them for thousands of generations on different mixtures of organic matter to try and understand, well, 
can they evolve to use different types of organic matter and which microbes and which at a molecular level in the microbes, which genes might be involved in, in regulating that, that process. And so um, I know there has been some work with microplastics demonstrating, particularly from like landfill sites where the microbes would be exposed to really high levels of microplastics for long periods of time, they can actually evolve to use those carbon sources as, as an energy source. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder if there's any potential there with, with the PFAs. You talk about going through many generations of these microorganisms. Are they all engineered or are some natural? Are there natural uh, organisms that can break down these plastics or PFAs or other man-made materials? Or are they all likely going to be kind of man-made or engineered? There are natural ones, yeah. So I should have also maybe preface that a bit when I was talking about the research we do in, in my group. It's we're not doing any of that sort of um, synthetic biology or bioengineering work. We're very much working with the natural environment and we're interested in whether in the natural environment these strains actually exist that are able to carry out these functions. And um, yeah, the landfill example is one, is a, is a great example of that, where there are strains of bacterium that are living naturally in the environment and they've just been forced to adapt to use these pollutants. So do you think that as time goes on, microorganisms will have evolved to be able to break down these uh, compounds that have strong bonds such as carbon fluorine bonds? And if so, is that going to happen in a time frame where, you know, we could potentially combat that problem rather than just kind of let it, it go? My, my guess is probably not so that the timescales are not going to be congruent with um, us just, you know, throwing our arms up and saying, oh, we'll just let nature take its course. It's going to gonna fix itself. Um, I think it, the sort of discoveries from the natural environment that this happens are really um, promising and really show that nature can heal itself. But I think without really high concentrations of these compounds in the environments really putting a strong pressure on microorganisms to adapt it can take a really long period of time and so not one that's going to be necessarily helpful for us to just say oh we'll just let nature do its thing what gives you hope in your research andrew i think that just just what we've been talking about the sort of resilience of of nature and the innovativeness of of nature and its ability to to bounce back if given um sort of space and some of those pressures are are relieved and then also the yeah that sort of ingenuity of of nature to sort of um overcome these these challenges and being able to use that in a way that can make our impacts on on the planet more sustainable andrew it's been absolutely fascinating will your questions i think really pushed andrew as well so thank you <laughs> yeah. so much for those and it's great to have you feed into what we think is one of the biggest issues in chemistry at the moment and I just want to say thank you again for, for coming in and for giving us so much of your time. Thank you. 
So before we move on, Andrew, um, we have a bit each week called The Breakdown. So it's kind of a challenge for you. Um, So in one minute, only one minute, would you be able to sum up everything you've just said in just a nice, concise way so everyone can just understand? I can give it a go, yeah. (laughs) Carbon's great. It's it's, um, the element that sort of drives all all life on Earth, but um, it's not just a single element. It's got this really remarkable diversity to it. And that's crucial because it interacts with these um, microorganisms, invisible things we can't, bacteria and fungi and archaea and, and viruses that are influencing what carb, how carbon moves through the in, environment. Um, and those microorganisms are also critical in interacting with other organic compounds that in many, that in some cases are man-made like microplastics and PFAs and and other uh, pollutants. And um, the fact that um, some microorganisms can view these pollutants as just another carbon-based sort of organic compound um, and can actually degrade them is really promising in in the um, search for ways to sort of reverse um, our impacts on, um, on nature. Andrew, I think you nailed it. How did I do it. on time? Under, under, under a minute? I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I think you're just pretending when you said you couldn't do that. That's fantastic. Thank you so Managing much. Managing expectations, that's what it's called. <laughs> Thank you very much for that, Andrew. Um, I could, Thank you. you I could go. sense the tension, but you absolutely smashed it. And shortly you'll be able to get your revenge uh, for us putting you on the spot like that. So just hold on with us for, for a few minutes more. So we've now come to the part of the podcast we know you've all been waiting for. (laughs) Drumroll, please. It is the expert's test. And this is where we have our wonderful expert, Andrew, um, posing questions to both me and Sam. And Will, our student, is still here uh, to take score. Obviously, I'm going to win. But uh, Will is here to keep score uh, and make sure that we are, uh, that everyone plays fair. Exactly, exactly. So, Andrew, over to you. Sam, are you ready? I am so ready. I was born ready. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, could we have your first question, please? Yeah, so so we talked about this great diversity of organic um, compounds. Do you know what the most or abundant organic compound on Earth is? Oh my goodness! I feel like I'm back at school. I'm going to pass on this. Any hints? Probably. The, um, there is a hint in the the um, department where we work in Cambridge. CO two. So CO2 is technically an inorganic compound, isn't it? Oh, that's true. That's true. We're stumped in the studio, (laughs) Andrew. No one knows. (laughs) It's okay. It just just highlights most of what the Department of Plant Sciences complains about in Cambridge, which is people's um, blinds, uh, plants being a blind spot to most people. Cellulose. Cellulose is the most abundant organic compound on Earth. Oh, wow. Great. Oh, that's fantastic. I would never have got that. Okay, it's a <laughs> nil point no. to uh, no, no. both of us there, I'm afraid. Andrew, please be kind. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah, hopefully that wasn't too, too harsh. So um, we talked about um, these PFA uh, compounds, these forever chemicals. Do you know why, um, what makes them last forever? Why are they so hard to break down? 
I think it's because of the strong carbon-carbon um, bonds between them. Um, Carbon-carbon or carbon-something else? <gasps> I think it's carbon-fluorine bonds. Yeah, there we go. PFA. Carbon-fluorine bonds, yeah. <laughs> One point for Mariana. Not that I'm competitive at all, Andrew. <laughs> okay, and the last question I had was, we talked a bit about what happens biologically to whether it be PFAs or, or microplastics. Do you know what's the process of uh, biomagnification? I think we're all stumped here again. <laughs> so, right, it's a, it's a more biology-focused question. So it's the increase in the concentration of a substance in the, in the tissues of an organism as you work upwards through the food chain. So whether that be a pesticide, a, a PFA, um, a microplastic, what we're really worried about with man-made substances are whether they're going to bio-magnify so that they're increasing in concentration from those microbes we talked about all the way up to you know, ourselves and, and mammals and, and other large, large animals in the food, food chain. Andrew, we totally knew that. <laughs> we just wanted you to explain it because you have such dulcet tones. I'm, I'm glad I've been able to inject a bit, bit of biology, though. Andrew, <laughs> that was biomagnificent. <laughs> we love our puns in the studio, and that really was uh, excellent. I think it's got us feeling that we're stretching yeah. our, our exam test muscles a bit. Yeah. And uh, it's fair to say that, I don't know, Will, what were the scores there? Uh, I think it's 1-0 to you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've learned a lot um, from so this. Um, I think we've all learned we've a lot. We've learned a lot. It's um, been really, really useful. Yes, it's been really good, I think. It kind of shows how important microorganisms are um, because a lot of the times we just think as, as like uh, microorganisms have been bad for the environment, but actually they have so much use. Um, you know, they live, they're literally around us. They're in us. Um, they have so many... Um, kind of characteristics provides vitamins for us and they can also break down this PFAs as well which is um, important for you know the sustainability of the environment in general well not yet but yeah. they will maybe they at will. some point they through will. evolution <laughs> I think one of the lovely things for us also Andrew is that we're seeing how chemistry speaks with and chemical tools speak to biology and plant science and ecology and it's it's really fantastic to see chemists and other scientists working together to really make our world more more sustainable so thank you so much for your work and the work of your research team and it's been an absolute joy to have you on on Zwittering On. Thank you all for having me on it was great great to be able to talk to you today. Thank you so much Professor Tanenzab and to Will for joining us and thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us. Make sure to tune in for our next episode of Zwittering On. And if you'd like to find out more about our work, you can follow us on our socials or go to our website, saltersinstitute.org.